Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. I believe so very much that someone needed that message this morning in song. That uh, I mentioned that same passage of scripture. Um, and I hope I didn't steal all her thunder. Uh, but um, I believe that that's not by happenstance. When God repeats himself, um, I truly believe that God is God is does so for a reason and a purpose, and I want my heart to be open to receive that message, to any message that He'd have for me. Well, last week we started a new series on lessons from the life of Jonathan, and um, we. We got to see his bravery as a soldier and his willingness to um, trust God to do the impossible. And uh, I'm challenged by that this morning still. I, I want to ask God, what's impossible that, that you want to make possible in my life? What have, I, what have I been afraid to do? What have I been afraid to say? What have I been afraid to take on? that you want to give me victory in if, if only I'll trust you. And uh, I've <clears throat> very much, very much trusting that the Lord will help us with that. But we want to continue um, in the same chapter. This is the same day, um, same, same battle that's been going on. And I have a very lengthy portion of scripture, and so I'm going to allow you to remain seated. Uh, I believe you can honor God's word seated. Um, I think that's possible. Um, but we want, um, we want to focus on the word and, uh, this, this morning. And so we're going to begin reading in verse 24, and we're going to be reading all the way down to, to verse 46. So it's very lengthy, and uh, trust that you'll read with me, follow along. 1 Samuel 14, beginning in verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged of mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. And all they of the land came to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were come into the wood, behold, the honey dropped. But no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Wherefore, he put forth the end of his rod that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes were enlightened. Then answered one of the people and said, Thy father straightly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, My father hath troubled the land. See, I pray you how my eyes have been enlightened, because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more, if haply the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For there had not been now a greater slaughter among the Philistines. And they smote the Philistines that day from Mishmash to Ajilon, and the people were very faint. 
And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground, and the people did eat them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord, in that they eat with the blood. And he said, Ye have transgressed. Roll a great stone unto me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people, and say unto them, Bring me hither every man his ox and every man his sheep, and slay them here, and eat, and sin not against the Lord, and eating with the blood. And all the people brought every man his ox with him that night, and slew them there. And Saul built an altar unto the Lord. The same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. And Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night, and spoil them until the morning light. And let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Then said the priest, Let us draw near hither to, uh, unto God. And Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he answered not him that day. And Saul said, Draw ye near hither all the chief of the people, and know and see wherein this sin hath been this day. For as the Lord liveth, which saveth Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people that answered him. Then said he unto all Israel, But ye on one side, and I and Jonathan on my son on the other side. And the people said unto Saul, Do what seemeth good unto thee. Therefore Saul said unto the Lord God of Israel, Give me a perfect lot. And Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast lots between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said unto Jonathan, Tell me what... Thou hast done, and Jonathan told him, and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in mine hand, and lo, I must die. And Saul answered, God do so, and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid. As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he died not. Then Saul went up from following the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Father, help us to see the truth in this passage. Help us to follow after you and follow after the wisdom of, of your teachings. Help us today as we endeavor to rightly divide the word of truth. May you be glorified and honored in our midst, for you alone are worthy. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, I've been thinking that we need some new rules around this place. So, I'm, I'm going to propose some rules that, that we need to start following around here. The expectation is that everyone will be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. If you miss, you have to have a doctor's excuse. Everyone needs to turn in their tax forms to the secretary and treasurer so we can determine whether you're paying exactly your tithe or not. Men are going to be required to wear suit jackets and ties. And ladies, we would like you to wear, start wearing hats to church. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, and my favorite new rule that I'd like uh, to start enforcing around here is if you fall asleep in the service, you spend the next service sitting on the platform for the whole time so that we can watch you if you fall asleep again. <laughs> Why aren't you all taking me seriously? I mean, here you are laughing at me. I mean, I'm serious. These are some good rules. 
You know, there probably wouldn't be anything wrong with if we did those things. But what would be wrong is to enforce them. They're not biblical. It would, it would be wrong for me to require a, a, you to make it to every service with, unless you had a doctor's note. It would be wrong for me to, to uh, enforce a certain dress code and, in order to push certain things. And really, it just isn't biblical and it isn't wise. Just isn't wise. As I looked through this passage and as we read it, and I know it was long, and I, I hope you were able to f- follow along with me, that, uh, that y- you would see that really there is a stark contrast in this passage. There is the wisdom of Jonathan and the foolishness of Saul. And over and over you see this play out, this contrast between the two of them and on this one particular day. And I, I, I believe there's a reason why that God highlighted this particular day and reserved it for us in Scripture. There were lots of battles that, between Saul and the Philistines that never got recorded in Scripture. But God wanted to highlight for us this contrast between wisdom and foolishness. This, this contrast between doing what's right and what's doing what's wrong. And one of the things that really... It's easy for us to fall into is the foolishness of legalism. We have it, it's, one of, it's one of those things that just really gets a hold of us. And it's, and it's really one of the things that got a hold of King Saul on this day. Right from the very beginning, we see that King Saul has made a foolish rule for his people. A foolish rule. There's no reason for it. He is, he has, this is a day of battle. This is a day of of war. And King Saul says, no one is allowed to eat today until I have been uh, uh, able to get vengeance on my enemies. And so all the people had to fast during a grueling day of war. I'm thankful I've never had to go to war. I'm thankful that I've, if I had to go to war, that I wouldn't have to go with, with whatever they were fighting with because we already know they didn't have swords and spears. I mean, did they have clubs? I'm not sure what they were using. But I would guess that in the hot summer of Israel that they are going to be exhausted. They're going to be famished. I mean, it's hard to fast if you're not busy that day, but if you're working all day, It's got to be miserable. It's got to be difficult and brutal. And King Saul makes this rule. And notice notice that he doesn't care about his people at all. He didn't stop to say, who's this going to help? Who's this going to hurt? How's this going to benefit? All he's concerned about is one thing. Vengeance. He wants vengeance. He says, no one eat today. None of us are going to eat. We're going, we've got to have vengeance against the Philistines. And here's the thing. He is probably trying to manipulate God into giving him the victory. This fast is not a true fast. When we fast, 
We are supposed to be re, uh, recognizing our reliance and our dependency upon God. When we fast, we do so so that we are not uh, hindered by the distractions of, of food, so that we can put our full attention and focus upon the Lord. And we remind ourselves that, that the Lord is the one who gives us our daily bread, that the Lord is the one who sustains us. And as we sang so beautifully this morning, that He is all that we need. And that's the reason we fast. But, but King Saul does, isn't interested in having a, a spiritual event. In fact, they're going to be busy all day slaughtering Philistines. So they're not, this is not a, a, a solemn occasion. This is not a, a, not a time of introspection and a time of God speaking to the people. But this is a time of saying, God, give us what we want. Give us what we want. And so we're going to make a rule to get God to do what we want him to do. And we're not going to regard the needs of the people we're not going to regard the, the needs of, uh, of anyone save the need for us to get what we want and what Saul wants is vengeance. It's a foolish vow. It's a foolish vow. And honestly, this, as, this morning, as I think about how quick we are to make rules. How quick we are to enforce regulations. I wonder how many times I've played the part of the fool rather than the part of wisdom. Play, play Ben King Saul when I, when I really should have been a Jonathan. It's really easy, you know, when we get frustrated to say, all right, we're, uh, we're just going to make a rule that's going to affect everybody. It doesn't matter who, who who's did it and who's, who's benefits and who's not. We're just going to make a rule to, for everyone. And you know, it's easy. We've gotten into a time, a time in our culture when that's what's happening. We have a we have a, a, a shooting that go, takes place and, and some of these states, they pass laws in the middle of the night. New York State did it unconstitutional laws that even the liberal judges had to say these are your laws went too far what why is that why would we make a decision like that it's because we make them in emotion we care about ourselves and we care about looking good and and we took immediate action sometimes taking immediate action is the worst decision that we can do we want to look good. John, uh, king Saul wants to look good. He wants, to, he wants everyone to know that he's the king who defeated the Philistines. They want, he wants everyone to, to look up to him and to revere him. And as you study the life of Saul, you'll realize over and over and over, Saul's got a problem, and it's that he cares more about what the people think than what God thinks. You'll see it in this passage. You see it uh, in, uh, when he refused to king, kill King Agag. You see it repeated over and over throughout King Saul's life. He's making decisions based on what people think. He wants a popularity contest. And he wants to come out in first place every single time. And so here he is. The Philistines need to die. They need to suffer and so he's going to make this rule, he's going to make this decision, and it's going to hurt himself, it's going to hurt the people, but he wants to get God to do what he wants. 
See, if you remember from last week, Jonathan wasn't trying to get God to, to do what he wanted to do. He, want, he asked God to show him if this is what he wanted to do. God, do you, you're able to give victory by many or a few. You're able to give us victory over this garrison of the Philistines. God, is this what you want for us? Me and my armor bearer, we're willing to be obedient to your voice. If you want this to happen, tell them to, for us to come on up. Let us know, God, that, that we're, the, we're, in, we're doing exactly what you want us to do. But this is not the attitude of Saul at all. Saul is saying, I want to destroy the Philistines. I want to have victory in this battle. And because of that, I'm going to force God into doing that by my fast. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. Jonathan, he comes along. He doesn't know about the rule. I guess he was off fighting the garrison when John when King Saul made this rule, because he doesn't hear about it. And he sees this honey that's, that's dripping. I don't know, there must have been a beehive up in a tree, and it was dripping down, and here's this honey. And Jonathan sees it as a blessing from the Lord, but the people see it as a tease and a temptation. They're fighting, they're winning the victory. And Jonathan says, Wonderful, I need a snack. Takes his rod, puts it in there, and he, and he begins to eat that honey. And someone says, Jonathan, what are you doing? Your dad says, you, that, curse be the person that, that eats anything today. And Jonathan says, that's crazy. He says, we're fighting a war. Do you see how much I've been refreshed by this? Are we wise? Are we wise? Jonathan recognized that there was a battle that had to be won. And he knew that they needed to eat in order to have the victory. And here's the thing. The Bible says that the victory was lessened. The victory was lessened. Because of King Saul's vow. Saul thought that he was going to get a greater victory and he got a lesser one. And that is exactly what legalism will do. Legalism says we need rules and regulations that aren't in the Bible so that we can control and we can manipulate and we can have things the way we want them to be. And I wonder, Lord, are we wise? Are there, is there victories that God is wanting to give us that we're not seeing because we have embraced that which we ought not to have embraced? Have we said no to things that God wants us to say yes to and it's cost us uh, the ability to reach certain people because we've created something that is not biblical? Are there people that we don't love are there people we won't reach out to because they don't fit our idea of us? 
We can talk about extremes. We can talk about the churches that have yardsticks at the door for the ladies' hemlines. We can talk about those extremes. But let's be honest this, this morning. That's not where we're at. That's not where we're at. Do you know what our legalism, what legalism does is it takes something that's not biblical and we put it on somebody else and we say, you live by it. I had someone just this week say to me, when I got saved, I was, a, I was, a, I was addicted to the cigarettes and I got saved, it, uh, the, it all vanished. I, I didn't have any temptation to, to it anymore. I think if someone really gets saved, they will never be bothered by their addictions anymore. Well, I'm happy that happened to you, but where's that in God's word? Well, I really just think that if they were saved, that they would get a full deliverance right there, once and done. I said, you know how many people that I've worked with that have tried to serve God for years and years and years who just couldn't get over their addictions because there's a hole in their lives. I was telling our Sunday school class this morning about a man that we worked with who, as I understand it, was given alcohol in the bottle as a baby. Lived a life of addiction to alcohol. Am I supposed to say that a man who's never known life without alcohol, when he gets saved, if he's not immediately delivered, that somehow he didn't truly get saved? But it happened to me, preacher. It's legalism. Because we define our experience as the way everybody else has to live. You know, I have convictions that God has given me that isn't for anyone else. I'll tell you one. You may or may not have noticed I don't wear a wristwatch. The Lord spoke to me as a teenager not to. He didn't tell me why. I have no idea why. But I don't wear a wristwatch. Trish and I started dating, and, and she asked me, she goes, uh, I know you don't wear one. I, I know you don't have a watch. She said, uh, do you want me to not wear a watch? I said, oh, no, I want you to wear a watch. This is for me, not for you. Furthermore, I need to ask somebody what time it is. <laughs> That's why I married her, just so I could know the time. <laughs> and then they came out with cell phones. <laughs> That's my conviction. My children can wear them. My wife can wear them. I would never ask any of you not to wear one. Never would I ask that. Never would I demand you conform to that. The Holy Spirit spoke to me about that. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I know that's the rule for me. Is it legalism for me not to wear a wristwatch? Absolutely not. It is my conviction. But it's legalism if I say to Dean, Dean, you're not a Christian, because if you were, you wouldn't wear one. I don't even know if you wear them. <laughs> but if I'd say, Dean, you're not a Christian, because God spoke to me about it, so obviously that must be the way it is for everybody. That's legalism. When we take our experiences, when we take what God says to us and we apply them to other people, folks, we are falling into the foolishness of King Saul when we make vows that are not biblical and we hold other people to them. 
You know, there was a day when the, we, when the church could get away with that. Preachers would get up and they'd rip and snort and they'd preach against all sorts of things. And people didn't know any better. There was a time when the Bible was chained to the pulpit. You weren't allowed to have a Bible in your home. You couldn't have it written in a language you could read. And then even in our own American history, there was a, there was a time when, when preachers would, could just get up there and preach and we assumed that they were telling us the truth. And I don't know that those people were, excuse me, were not trying to preach the truth. I think what happened is they got caught, so caught up in their own experience that all they could do is preach from their experience and not from the Word of God. And so I don't want to disparage those people. There's a lot of them that, I, that really made a difference for God. And I don't want to, I don't want to in any way uh, mar their memory. But we can't get away with that anymore. Our people are too educated. There's so many other churches that have uh, 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 alternative views. You can't get away. I mean, I've preached and I've had young people beat me at the back of the door with their cell phones. They've Googled what I preached. Not the sermon because I didn't get it online, but I'm talking about maybe an illustration or something that I said. And I said, they Googled this and so-and-so doesn't agree with that. The time when you could just get up here and just preach on things and attack and use your, your own experience as, uh, as some kind of standard for everyone else, it's over. And to be honest with you, I'm thankful it's over. Now, I'm concerned that the church is, is swinging the other way into to liberalism. And because we've understood that there's been some abuses of the past, we swing all the way to the other side. And you know what? Those that would like to hold on to the past legalism will point to those churches that when they tried to get swing to be more biblical, they went too far. And so they point and they say, see what happens, see what happens? If we become liberals or legalists, we're still wrong. But you know what? I think there's a false sense of security that if we're legalist, at least we've taken the safer route and God will just, God will accept us for being, trying to be safe. That God will accept us because, you know, if we're going to err, let's err on the side of caution. Let's err on the side of legalism. But we forget God said to us, he said, if we add or take away from this book, either one, there's no safety in legalism. It lessens the victory. It lessens the victory. And I am concerned. I'm concerned about, uh, about going a li liberal way. And I'm not interested in a liberal way. I'm not interested in compromising truth. I'm not interested in, in, in just doing whatever uh, the culture tells us to do. I'm not interested in that. But I, at the same time, I'm not interested in making up a bunch of man-made rules that constrain and, and hurt the people and lessen the victory God wants to give us either. King Saul made a foolish vow, but Jonathan, when he saw the blessing of the honey, he accepted it. He embraced it. You know, Christianity is supposed to be a way of freedom. But you know, we... Lord, help us.
You know what we've done? We said the person with the most rules and the most regulations and the most uh, personal convictions, that's the most spiritual among us. Do you know what Corinthians tells us? The more rules and regulations and personal convictions we have, the more spiritual weak we are. We needed all those rules and regulations. God and the Holy Spirit had to give us all of those rules and regulations because we wouldn't make it spiritually without them. The more rules that we need in our lives to keep us holy, the less strong we are. Let me, let me, let me illustrate it this way. My, I, I have a great variety of ages for my children, 15 to 4. There are more rules for Kelsey than there is for Dennis. There, there are, Dennis is allowed to cross the street all by himself. Aren't you proud of him? I'm so proud. But Kelsey isn't. Kelsey's not allowed to cross the street all by herself. She needs to get a brother or a parent or another adult if she wants to cross the street. Why is that? Because she is smaller, weaker, more prone to not look both ways. And so in order to protect her because of her immaturity and weakness, there are rules that she has that Dennis doesn't have. And the same goes for Dennis and myself. There are rules that I have for Dennis that I don't necessarily have to follow. Not because I'm being a hypocrite, but because he's not ready for some of those things. And I know we've got this mindset, everything's got to be fair. Everybody's got to have the same rules. That's nonsense. What's fair is what's equitable, not what's equal. Let me, let me say it this way. When it comes to Christmas time, Kelsey would love, I'm sure, to have another doll. Not that she needs another one. But she would probably love, but if I was going to be fair, I should give Dennis a doll too, right? That's fair, right? We realize that. We recognize that. It's not fair to give both Kelsey and Dennis the same gift because it's not fair. It's not equitable. It's equal. It's the same dollar. It's the same price. It's equal, but it's not fair. It's not equitable. And we have to understand this in the spiritual realm too. Maybe King Saul needed to fast that day. He certainly has had some spiritual problems that have already started to creep up in his life. It may have been a really good idea for King Saul to fast this day. But everybody else didn't have to do it. Not everybody else had to do it. And there's going to be rules that I have to follow that maybe you don't. I didn't come from a Christian home, and so maybe I have to be a little more careful than you do. Maybe there's some music you can listen to I can't listen to. Maybe there's, maybe there's some th movies that you can watch that I can't watch. Or maybe it's vice versa. 
But whatever the case might be, we need to be sure that the load that we're putting on someone else is the load that God would have and not one that we have made up. King Saul has become a fool. He's hurt his people. Men have probably died under his command this day. Certainly the victory is less, all because for want of food, because Saul wanted to look spiritual and impress God and get God on his side rather than getting on God's side. All about vengeance rather than honoring God and doing what God's will was. God's will was for them to drive out the Philistines. That was God's will. We saw that back in Joshua. It is God's will for the Philistines to be driven out. But Saul isn't worried about God's word. He's concerned about his vengeance. You can do the right thing with the wrong motive, and it won't impress God. So he makes a foolish vow that, and Jonathan, he, he's like, he says, let's do what's right. It's right to eat. It's right to have energy in order to do the work of God. Not only does Saul have, make a foolish vow, but he, makes, he has some foolish values. It's evening, and in the Jewish culture, when the sun sets, it's a new day. And as soon as the sun sets, the people just fall on the food. But the problem is, is they didn't get their food from Walmart, or actually from Burger King or McDonald's. No, they fell upon the livestock that the Philistines had brought with them for their food. And they started killing it. I don't know exactly the details. I don't know if they were even partially cooking it or what they were doing. But they weren't draining the blood out of the animal first. And one of God's rules for his people was is that we don't eat the blood. The blood has the life. And God had made a strict rule that, uh, that was, had to be followed. But the people are starving to death. And there's, there's this big slaughter, and, and, and I don't know what all's going on, but, but Saul's not even aware it's going on. Or if he is, it's just, it's just not clicking with him that this is a problem. Someone comes to him and says, Saul, the people are sinning. They're, they're, they're eating the meat with the blood still in it. And all of you who don't like rare meat said amen. <laughs> this is a problem. we got to get this taken care of we got to do something about this. And, and so King Saul, is, he says, you know what? He says, I'm going to set up an altar. He says, get me a stone. They set up a stone and then an altar, and, and, he, and they it properly drained the blood. And we read this and we think, wow, this is great. And, and then it, the, the writer tells us that this is the first altar that Saul set up. And I, wait a minute here. What's going on? Is this a, an altar to sacrifice to the Lord because of the people's sin? No. It's not. Is this an altar of praise and thanksgiving for the victory that God had given Israel on this day through the hand of Jonathan? Is this, a, is this, a, is this an opportunity to praise and worship the Lord? No, it's not. This altar is a sham. All it is, 
is let's make sure we keep the letter of God's law. We don't want God to turn his back on us. We still want to have victory. So there's no sacrificing to the Lord going on. There's no sacrifice of sin, no sacrifice of praise. This is a, all this is is let's keep the letter of the law. Saul should have been leading the people in worship and thanking God for victory. But instead of victory, he's slaying these animals so that they could eat the food in the right manner. Do you know what? We can get our values all twisted up. It's so easy to get our values all twisted up. We were, we were in what you, what you all call assembly. We called it conference. And it had been brought up when, uh, that we would change, get rid of one of our unbiblical legalistic rules. I won't tell you which one because you might think that it's needful. I don't need to make any enemies today. <laughs> it, was, it needed to go. No way to defend it biblically. And so people started standing up for and against some people that were against said, you know what, this is not a biblical thing. And as we look at the scriptures, and this is, this is what the Bible teaches, and some of them even went to the original languages to explain why, this was the, why we needed to change this rule, get rid of this rule, it was not biblical. Some stood up and said, we need to get rid of it, not only because it's not biblical, but it's a, it's a burden for the people. It's not practical, and, it, and, it's, and it's costly, and it, it's difficult. And, and, and they went on, and, and they, they presented a, a logical reason based on biblical principles of good stewardship and, and so forth, but, but why this was, this was an undue burden. case was, was made, I thought, very well. Of course, there were some people on both sides who made good points and bad points. But one dear sister, she got up, and I want you to know that I have full utmost confidence in this lady. I'm sure that when we get to heaven, she's going to get to be a lot closer to Christ than me. I have full utmost confidence in her. But this is what she said. She said, we don't know why our forefathers made this rule. But we should trust their wisdom and we should keep the rule just because they knew what was right. And so we should keep it. And I don't want to go a, a, a liberal way. Thank you, Chase. <laughs> and she was impassioned and she was in tears. But do you know what she was saying her value was? Ancestor worship. Didn't expect me to say it like that, did you? That's what it was. Our forefathers were perfect, and they couldn't make a mistake. Our forefathers made this rule, and so we should stand by it because we must trust their wisdom because we don't have any wisdom or understanding ourselves. It's ancestor worship. Older generation, let me say something to you. Don't be afraid when the younger generation becomes more biblical than you are. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. 
I know you were raised a certain way. I know you were taught a certain thing. But let me also add this. If you believe what, that it is biblical and unchangeable and, can't, and should, we should never, ever let it go, then it is on you. It is your responsibility to teach us biblically why we should do it. And if you don't, don't blame the younger generation for walking away from it, saying, we don't believe this is biblical. If you can't say, give the answer why and show us in the word the, the principles that led us to that decision, if you can't do that, don't be angry with the young people when they say we're not walking after that anymore. We follow Christ, not the teachings of people who cannot tell us whether it's, why it's right or why it's wrong. That responsibility is on your shoulders, not the younger people to guess the reason why you said it was wrong or why you said it was right. I know a pastor. He's not, he's not pastoring now, but he had a slew of kids. I, I can't remember, eight or nine of them. Anytime he had, his, one of his children, one of his teenagers would come to him and say, why do we do this? Why is this wrong? Why is they punished them for rebellion. They have one child serving the Lord. One. Every single one of their children have left the faith completely. I don't even think that they're even, I think maybe a handful are attending very, very, very liberal churches. I don't blame those children. I put the finger right on mom and dad who would not answer why. You say, what if they didn't know why? Well, first of all, he's a pastor. He should have known why. And second of all, if you don't know why when your children ask you or your grandchildren, then you go find out why. You find out. You ask a pastor. You ask Brother Shaper. You find somebody to tell you why. And if, you can't, if no one can answer why, then it probably needs to go. I know that sounds harsh. But this generation will not accept because I said so. It's great when they're six, not great when they're 26. Just won't work. And we can't, this generation will not continue in the ancestral worship of our, uh, of our forefathers. They won't. We want the word of God. And that might sound like an excuse to go liberal to you, but folks, it is not. I know dear, dear young people who want what God wants, but they can't figure it out. Because the world says yes, and the, uh, the liberals say yes, and the legalists say no, and they don't know who to believe. And what's sad is, is we haven't taught them to how to find the truth in God's word. We want them to take our word for it. I attended a service. Bless, bless his heart and help his head. This, this evangelist got up in a camp meeting. I don't know if he even read a text. I can't remember if he did or not. But he then, in his introduction, he said, everything I'm going to say, I believe I can defend with Scripture or through logic. And then he proceeded to just preach on a bunch of things and never defend it with logic or Scripture. 
And I'll be honest with you, there was, not, there was hardly anything. In fact, I don't know if there was anything he preached that day that I agreed with. If you can defend it with logic or scripture, then do so. Otherwise, sit down. They tell me I'm blunt. I don't mean to be. Saul had messed up values. He's not praising the Lord with his sacrifices. He's not, he's not uh, uh, asking God to forgive him of their sin for eating the blood. All he cares about is making sure God doesn't get mad at them. Folks, it's okay if you get saved because of a fear of hell, but if you stay there very long, you're, listen, you're going to lose it. That is not how we, that is not the relationship God wants you to have with him is a fear that he's going to throw you in hell. He wants to have a loving father and son, father and daughter relationship with you. Don't stay there. And Saul stuck there. They get done eating. I am sure that the men have gorged themselves. Let's just be honest. When you're famished and you're starving, Probably the last place you ought to go is an all-you-can-eat buffet. Because what happens is your spouse has to roll you out of there. It's a dangerous thing to go to an all-you-can-eat buffet starving to death. You feel the consequences of it for a few hours. And you see, every time you step on the scales, the consequences of it for a few years. These men have gorged themselves. They're tired. They're hungry. They're starving. They've eaten. And Saul says, you know what? God's helped us today to have a victory. Let's go on and let's fight them in the night. Now that makes a whole lot of sense when... And with night vision goggles that we have today, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Israel to do this at this point. How are they going to know who the Philistines are and who their friends are? This is probably not a wise decision. Nighttime battles were very rare in the ancient world. It just is a dangerous thing to do, especially when you're talking about hand-to-hand -hand combat. You don't know if that guy that you're about ready to hit over the head with your club or run through with your sword is your friend or your foe. And let's be honest, even with our modern warfare, how many times, have, how many loved ones, how many people do we hear that were killed by friendly fire? It's not very friendly if you're the one on the receiving end of it. It's probably not a wise thing. But God's able, God is able. But he says to the people, Let, why don't we do it? Now they're stuffed, they're tired, and what do you want to do after Thanksgiving meal? Do you want to go fight a battle or do you want to take a nap? And the people say, do whatever you think. And thankfully the priest says, you know what, let's pray. You know, Saul is so focused on his vengeance, he's so focused on his poor values, he didn't even stop to ask God, what should we do? What should we do? Well, now he doesn't want to look bad in front of the people. Now that the priest said, let's pray, so let's pray. 
you know what? God doesn't answer. King Saul has, up to this point, hurt his people for no reason, except for his selfish pride and his desire for vengeance. He has, he has caused the people to sin. And let's be honest, folks, our legalism can cause people to sin. They cause them to go the other way. This, this, do you see this? He's, he made a legalistic rule, no eating. What happens as soon as they can eat, they swing all the way over to, to sin. Sometimes our legalism causes liberalism. That's a weighty thought. He's not sacrificing and asking the Lord to forgive. And, and so here he is. He's got messed up, uh, messed up values. He's, got me, he's messed up uh, rules and regulations. And, and, now, and now God's not answering him. And you know what he has the audacity to say? Somebody must have sinned. Do you think... The people have been eating the meat with the blood and you didn't sacrifice for it. What are you talking about? Someone must have sinned. There's been a lot of sinning going on. And not to mention your own foolishness. And let me just say here, foolishness does not always sin. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It's not necessarily sin. So I, I, so I want to be careful here. I'm not accusing Saul of sin in his vow. I'm not, accusing, I'm not even accusing him of, of sin and not having a sacrifice of praise or even a sacrifice of repentance, although I, that one's a little more questionable. I'm trying to be, a little, uh, be gracious to King Saul here because we've, we've all played the part of a fool. And thank God for his grace that when we've played the part of a fool. Jonathan, he's, his values have been clear. He says, I want to do what's right. I want to do the right thing. Someone sinned. Saul's mad. He wanted his vengeance, and now he can't get it. He wanted to get his vengeance on the people of the Philistines, and now he can't have it. God won't answer him. And so now someone's got to pay for it, and they're going to die. Praise and ask God for a perfect lot, and God does. Now, I want you to know Jonathan was taken, but not because he sinned, but probably because King Saul asked this question, who broke my vow today? He asked the wrong question. He, wasn't, he didn't care about sin. If it would have been sin, the people would have been taken. He asked, who broke the vow? He asked the wrong question. He thought that was the reason why God wasn't answering. And folks, if we're going to, if God's not moving the way that we want him to, if God's not doing what, it, what we want him to do, if he's not giving us the victory that we had hoped for, we better be careful to ask the right questions. Jonathan's taken. Jonathan said, hey, all I did was eat some honey. I didn't know anything about this. But he didn't even say that. See, Saul makes a foolish verdict. He says, you broke the rule, you're going to die. The consequence of eating when I declared a fast is death. The punishment didn't fit the crime. In fact, he was ignorant of this 
rule. You know, you know what Proverbs teaches us is the difference between the fool and the wise person? There's a, there's a lot of answers that you can give there. The proverb writer gives a lot of answers, but I think there's one that you hear repeated over and over and over and over, and it's this, listen to my instruction, son. Listen to instruction. Be teachable. Be the one who says, I don't know, help me understand. I know someone right now that all of their life they have known everything they th that they needed to know. And they didn't want to learn from teachers. They didn't want to learn from pastors. They didn't want to learn from their parents. They, had, they knew. And their life is miserable and they can't figure out why. I know a dear sister, I, I truly believe she loves the Lord. We're just talking with someone this week about the tragedy of it. Here she was, she, she, she had so many precious children and, and she had this idea that the only thing that mattered is that they obeyed her. She assumed that they would love her because she was their mother. She didn't try to build a relationship with them, but she put on rules that they could never follow. She set standards so high that there was no way they could have ever met them and she punished severely. I don't know how many people risked their relationship with her to tell her, listen, the way you're raising your children is wrong. You're hurting your kids. She refused. She said, oh, I want my kids to be obedient. Thank God for obedient children. It's a good thing, but it's not the only thing. And while I was home, someone said to me, they said, you know, they lost every single one of their children. Not one of them is serving the Lord. They're not even going to church. They've went as far out into sin as they possibly can go. As soon as they got out from underneath of her thumb, they went straight into rebellion. But you know what? That mama had lots of chances. Lots of people who loved her so much that they said, listen to instruction. You know, if you know everything and you don't need any instruction in it, you know what you're saying? You're saying you have become the best in the whole world in whatever it is. I'll be honest with you. I don't feel like there's any area in my life that I am to that level. I want to receive instruction on how to serve God better. I want to receive instruction on how to be a better parent. I want to receive instruction on how to be a better pastor or a better preacher or, or whatever the case might be. I, I, want to, I want to have a teachable spirit. But King Saul doesn't have that. You break the rule, you die. And the people say, you're not touching a hair on his head. He gave us the victory today. And Saul, not because he was teachable, but because he feared the people, he gave in. Saul is so wrapped up in himself, he cannot be taught anything. He won't be taught by Samuel. He won't be taught by God. 
fact, God allows a medium to bring uh, the spirit of Samuel from the dead, and he tells Saul that he's going to die the next day, and Saul still goes in to battle unteachable. When someone tells you you're about to die, God's going to bring judgment on you and your house, and you say, let it be, you're in a dangerous place. You say, not me, not me. Well, Eli got there. And down throughout scriptures, you can find these people that God says, Your judgment's coming. And you know what happened? People say, we don't care. We don't believe it. We don't want to believe it. And Saul's not teachable. And if we're going to be a people who are wise, we better be teachable. Well, I don't like that, preacher. I don't care if you like it or not. Did God say it or did I say it? If I said it, I don't care. Throw it away. But if God says it, you better listen. That's why I read such long passages of Scripture. It's because I'm trying to stay in the Word. I'm trying to stay in the Word. I'm trying not to get off in my opinions. and I'm trying to demonstrate through the Word exactly what I'm preaching. I don't want to preach my opinions. And if you don't like something I said, fine, throw it away. I don't care. But if God says it, we better take notice. Jonathan doesn't even defend himself. He admits to what he did, and he never says anything to embarrass his father or hurt his father. You know a good sign that you're a legalist is? You don't care who gets hurt by the rule. Saul didn't even care that his own son was hurt by the rule. The rule is the rule. The rule is the rule if God makes it the rule, and I understand that. And you know what? Sometimes doing the right thing is going to be costly. There were people that made the decision to protect Jews from Nazis and they lost their lives, and their children lost their lives, and it was costly for them to do the right thing. Sometimes doing the right thing does hurt people. But when people are going to be hurt, we better move slowly and make sure what we're doing is right by God's standards and not just self-pleasing. Saul moved quickly, and foolishly, no matter who it hurt. Jonathan, he wouldn't embarrass his dad. He wouldn't hurt his dad in front of the people. He says, Dad, do what you feel like you have to do. Often have I played the fool. Only God knows. How often I've run into making hasty decisions based on emotion, based on my own desires, based on perhaps my own pride. How many times have I missed it when I should have been asking God to search my heart or maybe even praising Him for victory, but I was so caught up in something else. How many times have I asked God to bless what I'm doing instead of asking God to let me join what he's doing? 
How many times have I played the fool? But I want to be teachable. And I want to be wise. And it wasn't the gray hairs on Saul's head that made him wise. Played the fool. Jonathan was a young man, and he was more wise than his father. It's not the gray hairs. It's not the years of experience. It's whether we're teachable by the Holy Spirit and by those God has placed in our path. And Jonathan outshined his father twice on the same day. God, give me a heart that's teachable even when my, when my emotions want me to run away and do something foolish. Jonathan was wise, well beyond his years. And Saul was foolish in spite of his years. May God help us be a people who seek wisdom first and stand together. I'm sorry I was lengthy this morning. Father, The word says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But we all know that there's been lots of adults who have foolishness still bound up in their heart. And sometimes it's been me. I ask that you give us a heart of wisdom, a heart that's teachable, a heart that wants to be what you'd have us to be. Lord, when emotions get in the way and when we hear a voice in our head says, now, 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 help us to stop and listen for your voice. Oh God, let us not fall in the ditch of liberalism or legalism, but help us to walk the holy pathway. It's a narrow way. We know that. But let us not fall in the ditch on either side. And may we not have the victories that you want for us to be lessened or even missed because we weren't teachable. We weren't wise. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.